Welcome to the Chris Wallace Chronicles. Not long after I started working at Channel 5 in New York, Howie was hired and we shared an office. We also shared a love of words and wordplay. It seemed like the least little thing could just start us off on some verbal merry-go-round. Add to this an almost uncanny ability to complete each other's creative thoughts and take it to the next level. We were a great team, and we were recognized as such by our immediate supervisor, himself, as we called him. Himself recommended us to a friend of his who had a small ad agency. This guy landed the job to create Newsweek's first television ads. He subcontracted Howie and me to come up with something. I remember the tagline, Newsweek separates fact from opinion. One of the spots we came up with used a diamond cutter as a central character. I don't remember how we tied that into Newsweek, but we did. And we got a nice payday out of it. Howie and I spent virtually our entire working day together. We even ate lunch together, often takeaway from the place we call the Dirty Brothers Deli across the street from Channel 5. And we also spent time thinking up ideas for television shows. We came up with one that we called Summation. Nick Scopetta was a buddy of mine. He later became deputy mayor and fire commissioner, but he and I went back to the days when he was an assistant DA working in Frank Hogan's office. Our idea was to take public records of actual trials and dramatize the arguments that ended up determining the verdict. Nick would be our host. By this time, Sid became the third leg of our creative team. I've referred to Sid a number of times throughout these podcasts. He was a brilliant graphic designer. The three of us became WJG Productions. We worked out the details of summation and presented it. I forget where. No one had ever seen anything like it before. It was 100% original. We didn't get any bites. I always thought it was ahead of its time, but I probably would, wouldn't I? Now, speaking of bites, leads me into another of our projects. By this time, I was a producer in the program department of Channel 5, and I was assigned to meet with a guy named Bruce, who had an idea for a new and different kind of cooking show. And I have to put this into historical perspective for you. At that time, strange as it may seem, cooking shows were virtually non-existent on television. The galloping gourmet was pretty much it. So I go to this apartment in the East 60s to meet Bruce, who claimed to be a master chef. Bruce had turned this two-bedroom apartment into a showcase kitchen. One room was filled with every kind of pot and pan you can imagine, a brass, copper, and stainless steel wonderland. The other room had a huge fridge, a separate freezer, an industrial-sized stove, a butcher's block table big enough to seat ten people, and racks and racks of knives, whisks, spoons, mashers, and any other utensil you can imagine, plus a few you couldn't. Then there were crocks, bowls, and dishes made of clay, earthenware, and ceramics. It was like being in Macy's housewares department. Welcome to my world, he said. He was about 5'7", slightly built, little stoop-shouldered, and in his 30s. He had an olive complexion, brown eyes and hair, and the way his hair was combed gave him sort of a Napoleon look. And this is Nancy, my assistant. Nancy's probably mid-twenties, smartly dressed, very charming. I've prepared a little lunch for us, nothing special, just some Cornish hands stuffed with wild rice and artichoke hearts and a fruity Beaujolais. Next time I'll do something more exotic. 
When I got back to Channel 5, I called Howie immediately. You're not going to believe this guy, I said. While I was there, he called Julia Child and Dan Beard. He laughed and joked with them like they were old buddies. Howie asked me what kind of host he'd be for a cooking show. I'll be honest, I said, I'm not sure. He's got a lazy voice, slurs his words a little, you know, doesn't articulate too well, but he sure as hell knows his way around a kitchen. I gave Bake pretty much the same report. You think it's worth doing some kind of pilot, he asked. I'm not sure, I said. Maybe you ought to meet with him. Bake decided to give him a shot on Midday, an afternoon magazine show we'd recently launched. Bruce didn't just bomb. He was an intergalactic, multi-megaton nuclear holocaust. He was so out of it, you'd think the guy never spoke before. It was embarrassing. The only thing he didn't do was bump into the set and knock it over. We watched this disaster from Bake's office, and all I could say was, well, at least I got a good meal out of it. That should have been the end of it. But it wasn't. A week or so later, my phone rang. It was Bruce. Okay, now we got Channel 5 out of the way. I think we need to start talking about syndicating the show. When can we meet? What are you talking about? He didn't miss a beat. I want you to produce my cooking show for syndication. When can we meet? I was incredulous. I don't know how much you know about syndicating television programs, but it takes money. Don't worry about money, he said. The money's there. I want you to produce it. When can we meet? Give me a couple of days, I said. If I agree to do this, I'm going to need to bring a couple of other guys into it. Fine, he said. You're the boss. Both Howie and Sid had seen Bruce on midday, so we agreed that Howie and I would meet with him, get the lay of the land, and then decide what to do. So we get to Bruce's place, and Nancy greets us. Bruce is going to be a little late, she said. The chef at the Waldorf called him about some emergency. How about a glass of wine? I asked Nancy how long she'd been working with Bruce. Oh, we've been together now for about two and a half years, she said, and immediately segued into, God, wasn't that awful the other day? Bruce was so embarrassed. I told him to cancel, but he's such a trooper. He had a temperature of almost 104. He was so doped up, I'm surprised he could say his name. He really feels terrible about it. Howie and I exchanged a glance. Nancy went on. I think we're better off this way anyhow. He always wanted to go it alone. I'm the one who talked him into contacting Channel 5. Really, I said. Oh, yeah. Bruce's instincts are flawless. I should have listened to him instead of the other way around. The phone rang. Hi, we're just talking about you. How much longer are you going to be? Okay, I'll see if I can keep him a little longer. Fifteen minutes later, Bruce burst through the door and began apologizing. That fucking Jacques always calls me when he's in a spot. This time he was having trouble with his souffles. You'd think a Frenchman would know how to do a souffle, wouldn't you? Sorry about keeping you waiting. Oh, no problem, I said. All right, let's get right down to it, he said. I want to syndicate a cooking show, and I want you guys to put it together. I don't know anything about production. I know about cooking. We'll incorporate and we'll all be equal partners. I've got all the backing we need, so don't worry about money. But that doesn't mean you should waste my dough. Wink, wink. Nancy laughed. Howie and I walked out of that meeting hearing cash registers ka-ching. We were actually going to be in the business of creating a television program. When we told Sid, he heard the ka-ching too. The three of us began talking concept whenever we could get together. 
Howie and I worked out a format while Sid worked out how it would look. When we were satisfied, we called Bruce. We've got some stuff for you to take a look at. Why should we come over? I uh, can't be today, he said. I got, a, I got an emergency to deal with. It's not my emergency. It's the Four Seasons. He caught me as I was going out the door. How about I give you a call tomorrow and we'll set up something, assuming no one else calls me in a panic. The three of us met with him on the weekend. We spread our notes and sketches out on the butcher's block table and ran down our ideas. Didn't I tell you this guy was a genius? Bruce patted me on the back. So, when do you want to get started, I asked. You tell me. Howie said, we'll need to rent a studio to do a pilot. Then Sid added, and I'll need some time to get a set built. Then I added, and we'll need some money to secure all this. All of a sudden, Bruce went ballistic. You think I don't have the money? I got the fucking money, okay? I didn't say that. I was just saying that we'll have to have some before we can get started. Don't you fucking listen. I told you there's money, didn't I? It was like Dr. Jekyll turning into Mr. Hyde. No one's doubting you, Howie said. It's just that we can't really get started without it. Yes, it said. We're happy to donate our time, but in order to get other people involved, we're going to need... He didn't get a chance to finish the sentence. Do you know who you're fucking dealing with? I'm from Chicago, get it? Get it? Now, don't give me any more shit about money. Nancy got him settled down. He chilled, and we got the fuck out of Dodge pronto. When we got out on the sidewalk, we just looked at each other. What the fuck was that? Who was this guy? Was all that Julia Child, Dan Beard, Waldorf, Four Seasons stuff just bullshit? We decided it wasn't worth finding out. We just chalked this up to another close, but no cigar. About a year later, I was going uptown on a Fifth Avenue bus when I saw Nancy. She looked very unglamorous and ordinary. I couldn't help myself. Hey, aren't you Nancy? She looked at me like a deer in the headlights. It was like she didn't know whether to answer that name or not. Oh, uh, hi, she finally said. So, did you guys ever get your cooking show off the ground? I don't see him anymore. She said it like she didn't want to mention his name. Look, I said, I'm just a little curious. Was all that Chicago Mafia thing real? I really don't have anything to do with him, she said. That includes talking about him. She got off the next stop. Next, we came up with a kid's game show called Who Knows Where. Again, 100% original. We created a format that would take kids on a journey to different geographical locations. We'd get teams from different schools to compete against each other, and we actually did a pilot for this one, and it worked like a charm. The kids loved it. The educators we brought in as advisors gave it a thumbs up, but once again, we couldn't close a deal. We figured that what we were missing was a partner who had a track record. However clever the three of us were, it didn't compensate for this lack. In the meantime, Howie and I had been playing this game in the office that we made up, and one day we looked at each other and simultaneously decided that it could be made into a TV game show. And Get the Connection was born. It just so happened that one of my neighbors was the brother of a bona fide player, Henry Jaffe. Henry Jaffe had produced award-winning television. He was big. We did a demonstration of the show for him in his office. He brought Ted Cott in to see it. 
Ted Cott had been a television executive. We did what was essentially a pilot. I hosted, Sid and Howie worked the game board that Sid designed, and we got some friends to be contestants. It was as exciting to watch as it was to play, and it turned out that the game went right down to the wire. When we were finished, everybody was exhilarated. Henry Jaffe turned to Ted Cott and asked him what he thought. Ted said, it was engaging, it was fast-moving, it was fun to watch, and an audience at home would probably enjoy playing it vicariously. Sid and Howie and I were ecstatic. But, he said, no network will buy it, so you'll never be able to syndicate it. Dead silence. We all looked at each other. Ted Cott continued, The problem is, it's too original. Networks only buy something they've seen before. A little variation here and there, but something they've seen. No one's ever seen anything like this. As good and exciting as it is, you'll never make a sale. That was enough for Henry Jaffe. He said thanks, but no thanks. Close, but no cigar. Again. I'm Chris Wallace.